Protecting students and teachers when they step into school is priority number one. On School Safety Today, a podcast from Raptor Technologies, we'll bring you the technologies and leadership that protects over 35,000 schools across the United States. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of School Safety Today, a Raptor Technologies podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. And folks, thanks so much for joining us on another episode of our show as we explore some timely pressing strategies and challenges around school safety and offering, obviously, some thought leadership on how to solve them and how to get ahead of today's and tomorrow's challenges, again, around school safety. So thank you for joining us on today's episode. If you like what you hear and see, you want to make sure you don't miss out on future episodes, make sure you're heading to our website, raptortech.com. Again, raptortech.com, as well as subscribing to School Safety Today on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Just hit that subscribe button and you'll have a full catalog of previous conversations plus notifications when we drop new ones. So on today's episode of the show, we're going to be chatting, obviously, school safety. And there are many pressing concerns that continue to be top of mind as classes continue in mass in person for the fall semester. And recently, Safe and Sound Schools, which is a school safety nonprofit founded in the spring of 2013, uh, came out with its 2021 State of School Safety Report. This was actually a survey in partnership with Raptor Technologies. And the survey took information from school administrators, staff, parents, and students themselves, as well as safety officials, on some of the attitudes and concerns regarding school safety and how that manifests into different perceptions of response and efficacy of response around school safety. So the 2021 report revealed a pretty wide gap, actually, between how students and parents perceived school safety initiatives versus how administrators viewed their own initiatives. It actually showed that students and parents are less confident than administrators in key critical areas, including a 30-point gap when asked if their school takes a proactive approach to safety awareness. So that's an important gap to fill, right? And the main question here is, how do we go about that? Is this an operational challenge? Is it a communication challenge? Is it a bit of both? Again, how do we fill that gap? How do we create more confidence in school safety strategies while also making sure the strategies themselves are actually effective? Well, here to break down both the results of this survey as well as turning that into some strategies for action moving forward is our guest today. I'm super pleased to welcome Michelle Gay. She's a mother, educator, and co-founder of Safe and Sound Schools. She brings a background in curriculum building, instruction, and classroom methodologies to her organization and our discussion today, and is also motivated to this work through personal tragedy, turning healing into a journey to improve school safety holistically for American students and beyond. So Michelle Gay, great to have you on. How are you doing today? I'm great, thanks for having me. Absolutely, it's a real pleasure pulling from your insights today and uh, getting to source your thought leadership on this important and timely topic. School safety has a lot of different iterations and a lot of different pressure points and continues to evolve in scope. Uh, when we discuss school safety, I doubt a year and a half ago, a pandemic was front of mind as the main priority. And now 
it is a baked in part of school safety strategy. So we'll be discussing that kind of shift to strategy here in a little bit. What I want to do first, though, is just get your background a little bit on the organization and your journey. So just for context here, Safe and Sound Schools, uh, again, for our audience here, Safe and Sound Schools is made up of students, parents, educators, custodians, lunch crews, I mean, a, a huge variety of constituencies with an interest in improving the quality and safety of our campuses. And so I'm curious if you could trace for us your journey uh, and the journey of your organization from your own personal touch points with school safety and the motivators that spurred that on, all the way to now connecting that with the goals and the work of where your org is at today. Trace that for Absolutely. us. Absolutely. Yeah. So. You know, um, having been an educator, school safety was always a thing, you know, always a big part of my job, my responsibility to take care of my little charges. Um, and then, you know, being a mom, uh, safety always very much in, in the forefront. So um, those seeds were, were planted um, and, and watered over the years. And then, of course, uh, having um, walked through and, and and found a way forward from the tragedy at Sandy Hook where we lost our youngest daughter Josephine that um, you know that forever changed my life and um, and my perspective uh, I I just felt that safety was uh, was something that we, we couldn't uh, wait any longer to, to make sure somebody else was handling it we you know we needed to um, make sure that everybody was was part of it and fortunately for me there was another wonderful mother who had also lost her beautiful daughter um, and and the two of us came together very much at first just to try to heal and process but we kept coming back to the conversation of of safety and and is it okay to send our surviving children back to school uh, are we ever going to be able to do this and and feel okay about it again uh, or have we turned a corner here in America so, you know, over the, the course of many conversations, we determined that that would be the legacy we would build for our children. We wanted to make sure that schools across this country and beyond have the resources, the tools, the best practices, uh, everything that they need, uh, the, the, you know, the, the expertise um, that can sometimes be a little tricky to find uh, as a, a layperson or, or a parent. We wanted to make sure that everyone has that, has access to that and, and can truly make their schools safe and safe. So that's how we founded the organization. And since then, we have been steadily building uh, an incredible team of, of experts from all areas and disciplines of school safety, school-based mental health, health and wellness, physical safety and security, community building and engagement, leadership, law and policy, and emergency operations as well. So there are so many people with, with so much to contribute for us. It's really just about bringing that all together. I mean, of course, my condolences for you know that tragedy that you and your co-founder faced. And it's a beautiful thing that you were able to turn that into something with such a lasting impact. Uh, I'm most drawn to the fact that your approach to school safety is such a holistic one and that your goal is to bring in as many constituencies as possible with different touch points along what defines school safety, how do we keep our kids mentally, physically, emotionally safe, and uh, you know, how do we center that at the forefront of our school's facility strategies, our curriculum, our layouts of the schools. I mean, there's so many intersecting pieces there. I, I find it really engaging that you've centered that as your legacy and your goal here with this. So props there. Now, moving on from there, I want to 
I guess, get a better sense for, or, <clears throat> oh, excuse me, got a little something in my throat there. Um, I, I'm more curious what the uh, vision is for response, I guess, to this survey that we saw in earlier. So, as a refresher, again, Safe and Sound Schools uh, released its 2021 report on um, school and school safety perceptions. And I'm curious why you think we see this gap in the first place, right? What does this gap signify for, um, I guess, the, the relationship between administrators and educators as well as uh, parents and students themselves? What do you think this is actually revealing about the state of those relationships and why? Well, I think it's pretty obvious we have a lot of work to do, <laughs> you know, sure. looking looking at that gap. Um, and, and I think for a lot of us in the field, it's not terribly surprising. It's something that we are up against all the time. Uh, you know, if your mission is to bring everybody together, all hands on deck around around school safety, um, you know, you find out pretty quickly that there are a lot of our challenges in making sure that everybody has a seat at the table, everybody feels welcome, and everybody can get there. You know, and I think that is one of the unique aspects to the challenge of bringing parents into the conversation. But with students, you know, that that's troubling to me uh, because they're there in the schools and school is all about them. Uh, so to see that there is this this disenfranchised group that is our, our primary stakeholder, um, that really that waves, you know, a big red flag, I think, for all of us. Absolutely. And it's important that the students themselves be brought into the conversation and are, you know, treated like the, I mean, in some cases, the most important constituency here, right? Um, if, Absolutely. Uh, right, Absolutely. yeah. If the administrators and the parents are all uh, planning on behalf of the student, there is some level of agency still that, uh, you know, the, the student should have in understanding clearly what are the safety protocols? How are they benefiting me, the student? And what can I do to contribute to that, uh, you know, communal process? I, I totally agree there. Now, do you think that this gap that we see then between students, parents, and educators and administrators, is this a lack of communication? Is it a fault of the program's efficacy in the first place, how it's structured and built out? Is it something else, a combination of the two, a different factor we didn't consider? What are your thoughts? You know, I, th I think it's a combination of those two things and, and a bit more. I think um, our, our, if we start with our parents, our parents are busy and they have a lot on their plates. They're juggling a lot. Um, and, and so communicating with parents can be very difficult, um, you know, for those reasons. I think also understanding that pe different people uh, are sort of attracted to different means of communication. So, you know, if you're only as a school community or a school safety committee pushing out, a, you know, a paper newsletter or, or an e-blast, you're probably missing a lot of people. You know, some people prefer, um, you know, prefer Facebook. Some people prefer Twitter. Um, you know, some people like to get text messages or push messages. There are just so many, I think, many different channels for communication now. And that is a wonderful thing that can also be very challenging for school communities to make sure that, you know, they are delivering information in a variety of different ways, using a variety of, of different mediums to, to communicate. Another big 
challenge, I think, with with ensuring that parents are are plugged in and and really have access to the information is is finding ways to authentically engage them in the process. So, you know, I think you can you can tell people stuff and and hopefully they were they remember it, you know, or at least part of it. But once they become engaged in it and um, and they're a part of it, they not only remember it, they're sharing it with others, they're suggesting changes, they're they're a part of the development of it. So really trying to find meaningful ways that we can be engaging our parents in the various aspects of school safety, I think is critically important. And that's how we've had the most success um, by our Parents for Safer Schools program, and even our, our uh, Safe and Sound Students program. You know, you can say that you want kids at the table all, all that you want. And, you know, you can make sure that there's a representative um, that is a student that's that's on the school safety team. But, you know, and unless they have some kind of decision-making power or, or project that they own, or they are, you know, they're pushing their sleeves up, that kind of lasting, sustainable engagement is not likely to, you know, to succeed or, or to endure. So I think we really have to take several steps back and say, you know, are we inviting parents and students just just because we know it's the right thing? Or are we really wanting to hear from them? And if so, how are we how are we making it uh, so that they are truly a part of the conversation and the work? Um, I think when people are a part of the work, that's where you start to get that buy in that investment. And that's where where things really start to take off for the, the school programs that we've worked with. What have been some of your strategies for making that happen uh, in an authentic and holistic way of actually getting parents brought on board and part of the conversation, part of the work, but done so in a way that also acknowledges some of the stressors or the roadblocks to engaging in a consistent way with parents? Yeah, you know, you, you mentioned communication, so it all begins there, right? And providing a, a variety of different ways that we're communicating information for our busy parents. Um, and, and I think, you know, as, as challenging and difficult as the pandemic has been for all of our school communities and each and every one of our stakeholders, we've been pushed to uh, develop communication channels and skills that we didn't have before, that, that we should have had before, right? So, you know, making use of these virtual opportunities um, is a very successful way to, to at least onboard and update and engage uh, parents and students in some of the happenings in school safety. A lot of our parents traditionally have enjoyed sort of coffee and conversation meetings at school. But there's always quite a large group that would love to be there, just can't make it. You know, their work schedule, um, their family commitments, their coaching, what have you, or they're just exhausted. Uh, so making sure that, you know, we're offering this virtual um, opportunity as well, that that's a wonderful way to, to offer the same uh, information um, in a perhaps more relaxed setting, a little bit less stressful. And that's been very successful for a lot of our school communities through the pandemic. So uh, I, I think, you know, that's that's a great strategy. I think also too, uh, meeting parents where they are, meeting students where they are. So think about the events and uh, times during the school year where there is the most parent attendance or activity. And piggyback on those, you know, all the way through the high school years, Back to school night is traditionally one of the most well-attended um, school-wide events 
uh, by parents that our schools report. For some of the high school uh, level, it's it's the games. You know, some of those games have a, a lot of uh, a parent involvement and attendance. So piggybacking on some of those events with a quick little mini Marshall um, or or you know a back to school, a quick little orientation or video um, that just kind of provides the highlights and and the quick um, information and and directs them to where they can get more when they need it. Those things are are uh, very powerful, very economic in terms of time, and you know you're you're making use of the fact that we've we've got good attendance and we'll have uh, as many ears and, and eyeballs on that information as possible. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it's so important to keep all of the factors in mind when trying to bring parents on board. That includes things like socioeconomic condition, right? I mean, even within one school district and one grade level, I mean, there can be such a spread of uh, backgrounds um, that your students are coming from. And a lot of times that very much defines how they're able to uh, communicate with administrators. Could be technology or lack thereof, could be a language barrier, could be any number of things. Um, But those are all important. So. I'm I'm curious what your uh, advice or strategies would be for how decision makers in the administrative space can do to keep those things in consideration, right? How do you build those strategies out in ways that has niche considerations for all the potential possibilities of inhibitors for parents to enter the process while still building something resilient and accessible? Yeah, I, I like how you said niche. You know, I, I think it, it really is about um, about looking at the particulars. So, yeah. you know, stepping back and assessing what's in the way. You know, what why uh, why is it a challenge? Uh, asking people, and you know, a lot of our school communities are more effective when they tap an ambassador, right? So, looking for ambassadors that uh, you know, people within the community, parents within the community that seem to have a little bit of a following or um, or have access to groups or populations within in the community. You mentioned language barriers. And I mean, that's a huge barrier for communicating critical information in the school community. So, you know, finding uh, someone that is trusted within the community, a parent that can act as an ambassador and, and translate and, uh, you know, gather together groups that um, that may not be able to access the information for whatever reason, you know, whether it's language or or culture or time constraints, um, you know, whatever that may be. And it works that way with students, too. Right. You know, trying to find leaders from the various uh, groups or, or populations within a community uh, is a is a wonderful way to to channel that information. Kind of like you're too young to remember this, but we used to have phone trees uh, back in the day in in schools. You know, whenever there was an emergency, the the information would funnel from layer to layer to layer and get passed through um, rather quickly. So it's the same kind of infrastructure that you're looking to build with parents and students to ensure that that information really is trickling down and that they feel welcome and um, plugged in and that they have the chance to participate in school safety. 100% agree there. Now, I want to also intersect some of the COVID changes we saw to these traditional engagement tactics. I bet a lot of that was uh, ruffled, to say the least, when remote and hybrid learning hit at scale. What kind of impact 
has this had? Let's start first on the perceptions themselves. Just to harken back again, we're talking a 30-point gap here and how much confidence administrators have in their own school safety approaches and what parents and students actually perceive about those approaches. So do you see any specific dots to connect there between how hybrid and remote learning impacted those perceptions on school safety and its efficacy? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting because in some ways I think it it helped uh, the communication hmm. gap because parents were uh, were forced to reach out for for information um, and, and in some cases were really very desperate for that information and that support. Um, and then I would say in other ways, it was exceptionally challenging because educators, school leaders, uh, you know, everyone in the school building, every trusted adult that is committed to the, the, the kids that are in the building, they couldn't physically see them anymore. They couldn't observe behavior patterns. Um, you know, they, they couldn't, you know, literally face to face interact with with the kids and see how they were doing and what their needs were. Uh, so that was an extraordinary challenge. It, it's really, you know, something I think when when we can look back on this, on the other side of this, and 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 really mine it for things that we've learned that were really very positive and communication channels that developed out of necessity, there, there will be a lot of value there. But, I, you know, we're still very much kind of building the plane as we're flying it, unfortunately, you know, heading into even another challenging school year here. And speaking of another challenging school year, uh, the Delta variant is not making it easy for anyone. Now, just to harken back to the survey again, uh, y'all's report showed that there was a perception gap in specifically uh, how, again, parents and students versus educators and administrators viewed the COVID crisis and the handling of school safety uh, during COVID. And I think this just highlights further how at the granular level this lack of communication or this communication gap at least is uh, creating the same general sense of uh, dissatisfaction with what's happening whether there actually is an issue with the efficacy of the program or not so i'm curious what advice you would give to administrators on trying to build these lasting partnerships with parents especially around aspects of school safety that are a little a little less material or a little more immaterial, right? The concept of uh, mental health and emotional health and wellness. Measuring that can sometimes be a little harder than measuring, oh, is there a stronger uh, security presence at our school, right? I can physically see that. Same with, um, uh, you know, air filtration and uh, different facilities management tactics to combat COVID. Sometimes they're a little less forward-facing as well. So thoughts on creating that communication gap, or excuse me, on bridging that communication gap, creating more touch points between parents and administrators on some of those school safety issues that are a little harder for folks to grasp potentially. Yeah, you know, and I would say backing up a little bit, I think one of the key challenges in communication for the past year, year and a half really has been that it's it's not just communication, which is always challenging in a large, sure. you know, in a community of varied perspectives and, and um, you know, just, just so many different people, right, different stakeholders. But I think the fact that this was a crisis, so that makes it crisis communication, which is a thousand times more complicated and different, right? And when it comes to a crisis in a school building, when 
that's happening and leaders are scrambling to, as I said, build the plane as they're flying it. You know, their noses are, are, are deep into the, the work and, and it becomes really easy to forget that while you have a really good, strong uh, grasp on what the plan is that, that you just made and put together and uh, your staff might feel really good about it, um, maybe you haven't finished, you know, maybe you haven't gotten it all the way out. Um, but very much when they're in that crisis mode, you see, um, you see things kind of, the, the walls go up. I, I don't think, you know, intentionally, but it's just sort of uh, something that happens when people are kind of nose to the grindstone, so focused on the task at hand. Um, and it's a, it's a real challenge for, for our school leaders and something that, that's key to remember. And you had another question that I was going to tag on there, and I've lost it in the train of our conversation. It's all good. I, I tend to do this to myself. I ask too many questions in one, <laughs> uh, alas. No, I, I believe just the question was uh, more on your thoughts on how to uh, bridge that gap specifically around the stuff that's harder to materially yeah. grasp or to visualize in action, uh, responses or methodologies that focus on the esoteric stuff, again, the mental yeah. and emotional well-being strategies. And for that. that does, you know, that comes back to communication. So, yeah. you know, you talk about those visual things that we can visually see or we can tangibly touch. Those things you almost don't need to communicate about because right. it's visible. You know, when somebody walks into the school building and they see that there is a visitor management process and there has to be an exchange of credentials in order for me to get into the building, they're like, huh. Okay, you know, safety is important. And and the school didn't necessarily even have to outwardly communicate that. It was communicated by the very presence of these of these measures and procedures, right? But you're right, it gets a little bit fuzzy when we're talking about things like mental health, bully prevention, suicide prevention, uh, those types of things that are very much, uh, you know, top of mind through this pandemic. These are areas where we have seen uh, critical concern in, in our communities, rising concern, and unfortunately, you know, rising numbers. So really, uh, that's where we need to put our communication energy. That's where we need to be, you know, putting out those those virtual coffee and conversations and, and, and just, you know, short and sweet. Um, parents are busy. Uh, students are busy, but if it is something that is timely and topical for what they're dealing with at any given time, they will stop and they'll, you know, they'll listen to a five minute soundbite kind of presentation or, you know, a, a, a little quick hit or, um, you know, th those types of things can be really valuable to people, little touch points, I think, even throughout the day. So leveraging this technology that we've all been pushed into um, and and making sure that we're, we're pushing information out via these technological channels but also you know keeping in mind that not not everyone in our community has that same access to technology there will be barriers that exist in our communities so making sure in some cases that you know commute the communities are um, are delivering information in a more sort of door-to-door -door fashion through the pandemic. There were a, there was a lot of success in in utilizing you know 
bus stops, as hmm. you know, places to distribute materials, uh, support resources, kind of care packages, and they were very well received by students and families. So, you know, stepping outside of the box, I think, and in some cases, literally bringing what's needed to the people that are uh, that are asking for those things. Couldn't agree more. Now, I've only got a couple other questions here to toss your way before we wrap up, Michelle. Um, but I want to, I guess, get a little more specific on uh, strategies for communication and mapping out a plan of action as a community and how to do so in a proactive way. So naturally, during a crisis, emotions are very high. And this can be either a very short-term in the moment kind of safety crisis, or it could be a prolonged one like the several months of crisis that COVID brought to our education system. And it can be difficult to, like you said, fly the plane actively and be making the decisions around, you know, where to navigate all in real time. So what are your I guess strategies here for how administrators can get ahead of this and practice for crisis communication with their community uh, while also being flexible enough to let that be an adaptive strategy to whatever the crisis ends up being. Yeah, you know, that practice is everything. Um, mm. When I was a kid, there was a saying that practice makes perfect. And sadly, that saying is still around. I don't believe it. I think practice makes progress. Mm, so, like and, and I didn't invent it. It was, uh, it was another one I, one of my teaching colleagues, um, but it's stuck with me and I share it when, whenever I can, because I think that's, that's what we're not, we're not striving for perfection. We're never going to get that. Um, but let's always be pushing for better. Let's always be pushing for progress. So I think that practice piece is, is so instrumental. It's where you really are actively engaging your stakeholders. It's where you really are discovering the little cracks and crannies that are, you know, that are going to be your undoing, that are going to be problems when there is a real crisis. So just like we ask school communities, we ask our students and our teachers and our staff to, you know, to practice the motions um, that they will go through for a fire drill or a lockdown drill um, or a variety of, of other different hazards that they prepare like uh, earthquakes and, and, and things like that. We want to practice the the other protocols. Reunification, you know, is a big one. It's it's so big that often a lot of schools will um, they'll they'll literally they'll put the plans in place, but they won't necessarily step through or walk through um, any type of meaningful practice community wide. And it's just it's a huge undertaking. So you know, we understand. But there are a lot of ways to practice those steps or, or conduct kind of a walkthrough in your community, um, whether it's with reunification, uh, whether it's with lockdown, whatever the steps may be uh, that really start to allow people to have some kind of their own ownership over the process and uh, and bring ideas forward and solutions forward. So I think that practice piece is essential. Um, and then in the communication, communication really falls in in the same um, in the same bucket. You know, you can look at communication and say we're we're going to have a, a practice emergency communication. Uh, we're looking for volunteer parents to receive the you know the communications and respond to them and give us feedback for how well we are, are pushing that communication and that information out. 
now as we're in the middle of this pandemic still it's it's not the perfect blue sky day we always you know talk to our school communities about having these conversations and and practicing on blue sky days unfortunately we're we're in the middle of the storm right now but when it comes to these other types of hazards um, and, and different circumstances and scenarios that we prepare for in our community, there will at least be a break, you know, a break or a pause um, that allows for us to step back and, and run those communications, practice those steps. And, and that is really where I think you start to get a lot of deeper understanding, a lot of um, muscle memory, and a lot of the gold comes out. You know, that's where people say, you know, I, I I see what you're trying to do here, but that didn't work. You know, there was a real bottleneck in the in the process of of um, parents coming in to pick up their kids during this reunification drill. What are we going to do about that? Because it would be so much more troubling in in real time in a crisis. So really, practice it comes down to that practice and offering opportunities to come together and practice. And last point of strategy for our audience here, but um, maneuvering that practice or setting it up in the first place, I'm sure can feel like a really daunting task for a school district, especially if the goal is to involve as many community stakeholders as possible. So what should school districts be considering and where do you think they should start as they build out this practice plan to get more proactive with their school safety measures. So I think you can start small. You know, you don't have to start with a full scale, you know, community-wide everybody participating um, type of a scenario. You can you can start with a sample group or think of it like focus groups, right? But this this would be like a focus practice group. And then you can expand from there um, because practice is just a wonderful way to be, um, you know, deepening the the understandings and, like I said, kind of strengthening that muscle memory. But it's also just a great opportunity for people to be learning and discovering together and and building really important relationships, trusted relationships for, um, you know, um, the day when when there might be a crisis that we have to face hand in hand together. And I think on that note. We'll go ahead and wrap up the conversation. And, you know, I think the core ethos here that our listeners should take away is, uh, you know, a centering of the students' needs, a centering of real communication and, um, you know, of really trying to build channels that bring people into the process rather than just evangelize out directives as an entity, right? Just sort of deconstructing that communication and what it really should be a two way street between the educational professionals and the constituents, whoever they may be in the community. I think centering that is going to continue to prove critical in future strategies. And I'm really excited to see how your organization and your work continues to push that forward. Uh, if folks want to find out more about the report that we've been talking about today, where can we point them to get that full uh, breakdown and um, dig into the statistics themselves? Absolutely. Folks can just visit us at safeandsoundschools.org. Uh, you can download the report as well as numerous other resources and programs. Uh, we have a really exciting program coming out this month uh, for the needs of individuals with access and functional needs in the community or special mm. needs, as as many of us uh, in school communities like to, to refer to this very special group of people. So we do hope folks will uh, take a look at the report and consider, you know, engaging in, in a similar type 
type of survey and report in their own community to get more information and, and as you said, kind of develop that two-way communication among all stakeholders in the school community. I love it. Michelle Gay, thank you so much for your time again. And for our audience, for context one more time, we've been chatting with Michelle Gay. She's a mother, educator, and co-founder of Safe and Sound Schools. Make sure you check out that full report, follow along with the work they're doing, and get involved with your community. It takes everyone supporting initiatives like this to really elevate the quality and the safety of our schools, which are such a critical piece of all of our communities, whether we have kids in them or not. So Michelle, thank you again for your time. It's really been a pleasure. Thanks so much, Dan. And thank you everyone for watching and listening along to another episode of School Safety Today, a Raptor Technologies podcast. If you like what you heard and saw and you'd like some previous episodes, you want to make sure you don't miss out on future ones, head to our website, raptortech.com. Again, raptortech.com. And subscribe to School Safety Today on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and we'll catch you on the next episode of School Safety Today.